HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. These programs are sponsored by listeners like you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And although Thanksgiving really didn't come into play and come into to being as a national holiday until uh, Abraham Lincoln signed some papers in 1863, it was celebrated prior to that. In 1789, George Washington signed a documentation um, that, that declared it a holiday, but not a national holiday. And in 83, as I said, Abe Lincoln, in 1863, he signed a proclamation of the holiday that it would be celebrated. And then he said the last Thursday of November, but that, you know, there was some, there were some problems with that. It was a little too close to Christmas, people felt. Um, and then it wasn't until 1939 that Franklin Delano Roosevelt finally cemented the holiday and its date to be the second or the second to the last Thursday of the month. And one thing that was constant, even though the dates changed and it wasn't declared a holiday officially for so long, one thing that was constant was what was on the table. And that by and large was always a turkey, at large being <laughs> a, a, a word by choice along with a lot of other things, but it was a turkey. Now, how that turkey was prepared kind of is a bit of a mystery still. So I went to Amelia Simmons' cookbook, and it's the very first American cookbook that was actually in print from 1796. And she said, well, after stuffing it with some some fat, some beef suet, and some soft bread, and obviously some herbs in there for flavoring, and maybe add a gill of wine, which would be about, I think that's about uh, almost like two-thirds of a cup or almost a cup. Then fill the bird and sew it up and hang it down to a steady, solid fire, basting it until steam emits from the breast. Well, now that if you if you can follow that recipe and get a perfectly roasted turkey 
you know, good for you, but it doesn't really give us a whole lot of direction on how to really cook that turkey. So then I went to the American cookery, which was called, it's the early American cookery book called The Good Housekeeper in 1841. And that's by Sarah Josepha Hale. Sarah Josepha Hale is the one we really have to credit with making Thanksgiving uh, the standard holiday that it is and a national holiday that it is today because she lobbied all the presidents in her time to make sure that that was happening. Abraham Lincoln being the one that that did answer her call and sign a proclamation. And she wrote a beautiful passage about the Thanksgiving dinner from her book, Northwood, in 1827. But in this cookbook from 1841, The Good Housekeeper, she too gives a recipe for roasting a turkey. And her recipe is the same with a little bit of stuffing that she, she talks about. And then dredge the turkey over with flour and lay it before the fire, taking care that this is most on the stuffed part of the bird, as it requires the greatest heat. And a strip of paper could be put on the breastbone to prevent it from scorching. And you could baste it at first with a little bit of butter and salt, and then as it cooks with its own drippings. A larger turkey requires full three hours roasting, a smaller one in proportion. And there you have it. Those are the directions for roasting the turkey. Well, good luck with that. And whether this is your first time preparing a Thanksgiving meal, or if you've roasted 50 holiday turkeys in your day, and whether it's frozen or fresh and 12 or 20 pounds, a name brand or wild, you're sure to have a question or two about preparing that big bird. So, okay, let's think. Here it is, Thanksgiving morning, and oh my God, I'm not sure what I'm doing with this turkey, and who are you going to call? Got the answer for you. You've heard about Butterball, right? Well, Butterball has a hotline, or a talk line, a turkey talk line. And I have today with me Bill Nolan, who is the a former chef and the current Butterball Turkey Talk Line supervisor. He's been with the Talk Line for six years. We'll talk, we'll find out from him. The Talk Line has been around since 1981, but I have a lot of questions about how that came to be. So, Bill, you're on. And thank you for joining me because this is a pretty hot season right now for you. It sure is, Linda. Thank you for having me on today. It's a pleasure to be with you and and talk a little bit of turkey. Uh, <laughs> it's a very timely part of the year for us. We we really look forward to this part of the year because number one, the holidays are here, but really we get to help customers and people that call us, text us, a uh, variety of different ways that folks can get in touch with us and ask us absolutely any question you can imagine about not only preparing the turkey, but how to select the correct turkey. Uh-huh. Should I buy fresh or frozen? You know, should right. I, I want to grill? Maybe I want to roast it. Maybe I want to deep fry it. You know, from those descriptions you gave from years and years and years ago of what was out there as far as how a turkey was prepared, 
we've evolved. Uh, you know, yes, like yes. society has evolved, thankfully, thankfully. Yeah. And we have meat thermometers that we can check the temperature of that turkey, which is which is crucial that I do want to talk a little bit about today. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we've really grown this to be uh, quite quite the operation. Well, now, um, in your, in your uh, mention on the website, it says that you are a former chef. So how did you come to get involved with the Butterball Company? Well, it's an interesting story. The, the, Butterball, uh, the Butterball Turkey Talk Line, we are all seasonal people that come in in the fall. So we come in, uh, myself as a supervisor, I usually start working in September. And we come in and we develop training for the new people that are coming on, continuing education training for the people that have been on on the talk line. But I got involved because a friend of mine was working here for a couple of years. And we were both, I was a chef. I was also a chef educator. Um, I continue to be a chef educator where I teach people about food and cooking. And uh, my friend said, oh, this is a really fun place to work. You know, you should really check this out. And so I did. I, I put my name in. And one of the requirements that a lot of people don't realize is you have to have some sort of a food background, a professional food background in order to work here. You know, we, so everybody here is a foodie. You know, we have a staff now of over 50 people that come in seasonally. Mm-hmm. And we're all foodies from chefs, from educators to food stylists to dietitians. Anybody who has touched food um, in this way, or any of these ways, I should say, is eligible to apply here and, and work with us. Well, so that's how I that's how I got my start. Well, it's a good thing. I mean, I, I you know, it's credit to the organization that yes, they're all foodies because, I mean, you're dealing with people who I would imagine some of them have very simple questions to ask, but others, other ones, I'm sure that there, it takes a little bit of, of practice and know-how to answer some of these questions, which is my question. And that is who, I mean, you answered it, who cooks and who, I mean, who tests who, or who answers the questions, but how, you know, is there some cooking that goes on? Do you spend a lot of time cooking the different turkeys and the different sizes and come up with, you know, some guidelines? We actually do. And it, there's a lot of hands-on that goes in with this job as far as making our, making sure that our staff is ready to answer calls from a variety of customers to your, to your point. Some of the questions get pretty technical. Uh, we want to make sure that our staff is familiar with preparing turkey in as many ways as possible. So one of the things, there's two things that we do. One of the things we do is when we bring new folks on every year, which we usually bring on between four and five new people a year because we have a little of attrition, people retire, people go on. And when we bring the new folks on, they go through a program called Butterball U. So Mm -hmm. it's Butterball University. And uh, it's a full day training of we talk about turkey, we cook turkeys. We educate these folks in the Butterball way, recommended way to cook a turkey. And it's really their intro to the world of turkey cookery, if you will. They're getting their feet wet, knowing how we prefer to cook a turkey. But then we go beyond that. We go into more advanced training for the entire staff where we talk about topical things. What are the trends out there now? What are some new cooking methods that people are using? Uh, 
you know, air fryers and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So we continue to, to stress that people, uh, you know, should know a lot of different ways to prepare. And then finally, the last thing that we do is we give all of our staff, all 50 staff, an assignment every year to prepare a turkey or a turkey product in a certain way. For example, two years ago, we decided to make sure that everybody should know how to spatchcock a turkey and Mm -hmm. cook it, which is, of course, removing the backbone, splaying it out flat, which has become my favorite way to cook a turkey now, by the way. But uh, we gave everybody a turkey. They took it home and they did it. And then we all get together in a room and we talk about it. You know, what did we learn? What did what were the mistakes? And this is like having a, you know, an inform a very informal giant test kitchen. We've got 50 people that, that worked on this and we can all have our input. So and every year we change that method. You know, another year we did grilling. You know, this year we did a smaller product that we have, which is a small turkey roast and gave them options and ways to cook it. So the people that are answering the phone call when you call 1-800-BUTTERBALL, you know, they've been in the kitchen, they've been doing this, which really should help put people at ease that we we like to think we know what we're doing. Well, it, that's, I mean, uh, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that because, you know, it gives me a little bit more uh, faith in, <laughs> you know, who's going to answer my call. It's like call a crisis hotline. You don't want, you know, some mm-hmm. teenager on, on their summer break answering the phone. I mean, you know, you want somebody who really knows what they're talking about and they've done it before. Um, now, Butterball, but they've been in the business of, you know, the, the brand of turkey, um, feeding America, basically, for more than 60 years. But the the hotline, tell me, how when did the hot, hotline get started? I mean, because it hasn't been, the official talk line hasn't been around for all that long. And yet, I mean, well, that's true. 40 years is pretty, 41 years is a long time. Um, I'm sure a lot of questions were coming in to the company probably by way of snail mail before that. How did how did the talk line come about? The talk line came about in, as you said, 40 years. So 1981, and it's interesting how it started out. A group of home economists uh, got together. There were six of them, six women, and they said, you know, people are getting a lot of phone calls about this. Now, I don't know if they were contacted by the company and said, we need help, uh, what the, what the, you know what the story was with that, but they decided they needed they needed to get the word out and make themselves available. So they started taking phone calls that year in 1981. So we're in our 41st year, and it it grew from six people taking phone calls on regular old desktop phones um, with a Rolodex in front of them, no computer in front of them. And then over the years, we, of course, have tried to keep up with the times as far as, you know, computerizing everything like everybody Mm -hmm. else has done, Um, but also increasing the ways, the options of way people can get in touch with us. You know, a lot of people nowadays, they don't want to talk on the phone. You know, they prefer a text message or they prefer an email or they want to do a live chat. You know, we're even on Alexa. We've got Alexa skill uh, Uh uh, is a butterball skill, which is pretty cool to play with, too. So, you know, that's how it started. And then it just grew over the years to, 
add these things. And finally, I think it was about around 2013, they actually started hiring the first men, which I'm happy of because otherwise I wouldn't be here today. But, uh, you know, it's and now we've we've got several people that are like myself that are either chefs or they were dietitians, guys and mixed in with with the other people that work here. So it's a really good cross-section of the food industry. And we've tried to, I'm really proud of the way that Butterball has evolved over the years to go along with what is going on, you know, in the country with the mindset of people and how they like to communicate and, and everything else that goes with it. Right. Well, I know that they, now you mentioned about all the different digital platform types of, of uh, communication skill uh, availabilities. But I notice also um, in reading about it, the talk line, that the um, you have included both Spanish-speaking and English-speaking uh, callers who or responders to answer calls, which you know is is saying something to uh, to our population today. And I'm sure that's probably bound to grow into <laughs> some other some other languages as well. Uh, over the time, how how much um, request is there for? Can you just even venture a yeah, guess? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We do have uh, we do have requests for Spanish speaking, you know, uh, talk line experts to answer their calls. You know, so we've got some folks that are that are bilingual now, and they uh, they take those calls, and uh, it's a it's a big help. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me of how many we get like that, how many yeah, contacts yeah. we get like that. But I mean, it's useful to have these folks. And, and to your point, I think if the talk line stays in business over the years, I can see us adding more languages as we go along. Uh, we will get people sometimes that will call us and we don't have um, someone here to speak that particular language. The most common request, request we get probably, believe it or not, is French because we have a lot of French Canadians that might call us. Hmm. Uh, Butterball is also sold in Canada. They sell right. it under a different license. So we work closely with that group of people. They come to our trainings a lot and we have a wonderful relationship with them. So um, a lot of times we might uh, we might have a little language barrier with the French speaking, but uh, you know, again, like everything else, we've tried to kind of keep up with the times. Well, I mean, Butterball is certainly one of the most recognizable brands of of Turkey um, available in the supermarkets. And but do you get calls also for off brands, other brands that are you know are wild turkeys or you know like so many people are cooking the the heritage. Uh, breeds and different types of turkey. Yeah, we do. You know, and and when you talk about the popularity of Butterball, um, you know, we were given some stats this year that one out of every three turkeys on a on the table at Thanksgiving is a Butterball. So it really speaks for the brand uh, of what we are. But we're more than happy to speak to anybody that calls us, and it's kind of cute in a way because sometimes people will you know, they'll be a little sheepish and they'll say, you know, well, I've got this turkey here and, you know, da, 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 da. And we'll say, well, what, you know, what does the packaging look like? And they'll say, well, I'll, I'll t- I didn't buy a Butterball, but I've got <laughs> XYZ brand. And the first thing we'll say is, it's okay. You know, it's okay. We, we want you to have a good turkey no matter where you got it. So let's see if we can help you with it. So that is not a problem, uh, not a problem with us at all for doing that. Yeah. Um, there, I did read a few stats, but I'm I'm sure you have some some idea um, off the cuff. They said something about over the years that the talk line has helped um, almost 50 million consumers, but that 
So that works out to what about four million every season. Um, that, that I have not heard that stat. Uh, the stats oh. that I have in front of me, we do about as far as the talk line, which of course the talk line we're only open from November first until December twenty fourth. We do we do stay open until Christmas. Wait, wait, Eve. Okay, let's let's repeat that. November first. Until December twenty fourth. Okay, that is correct. Write yeah, that November first. Your calendar, right? Exactly, exactly. Eight a.m. to eight p.m. Central Time, uh, Monday through Friday. But um, yeah, the um, the stats, as far as the stats go, we count our contacts that what we have per season, and annually we help about a hundred thousand people. So that is just in that two month period. Uh, of November 1st through December 24th. Uh-huh. And out of that 100,000 people, we have uh, probably, um, I don't have the breakdown in front of me on phones, but the phones are the the uh, the central part of our business. You know, it's it started out as the Butterball Turkey Talk line. That is the central part, even though we do branch out to the to the texting and to the, you know, messaging and, and chatting and things like that. But uh, 100,000 contacts per season is what we have. Yeah. I mean, that was around the time when you, these uh, consumer hotlines or helplines were really blossoming. And uh, one of the, um, the facts that I read about was that this Butterball was one of the first national toll-free consumer helpline. So that was, that was also a, a boom. Now we don't worry about that so much because people are calling from their cell phones. <laughs> That's the, they sure. pay the freight on that, right? Well, sure. there are questions. I'm sure questions abound for and the types of questions that come in. And I know I have a few of my own. Um, but we're going to take a brief break, and then I want to hear from you as to what were some of what are some of the typical calls you get, and what were some of the interesting, unusual, or perhaps, uh, let's say, crisis calls that, that have come in. And I'm sure there are a few. So come back, stay with us till after the break. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series on Heritage Radio Network called The Culinary Call Sheet, where we give a peek into the back kitchen of culinary media. I'm your host, April Jones. And I'm your co-host, Dara Bresnitz. Part of why we started this show was to offer an unofficial mentorship for anyone who is interested in learning about all aspects of food and video, whether that's TV, social media, online, or just something you want to do for fun. Absolutely. What was once niche or a little silly, as I'm sure you remember, Darren, when we started out. Yes, ma'am. Has now become such a massive playing field for so many creatives using food as the medium. It's something that has driven us professionally and personally for so many years. What excites me the most about this show is that we're going to sit down with some of the industry leaders to hear how they made it and what drew them into this industry. With 20 years in the culinary production game ourselves, we're hoping we can give, through these conversations, an insider's view into personal stories from the field as well as an in-depth behind-the-scenes look into some of the most popular food programming in today's evolving culinary media landscape. We'll be covering everything from how to style your food, to how to license IP, to developing your own ideas, and some tips from the masters of how to host your own show. Yeah, it's a little bit of conversation, 
how to and how do you do the things that you do in culinary media, which I'm so excited about. I love so many of the guests that are coming on this season. We have talent from Food Network, from Vice Media, Eater, Refinery29. We've met some of the best people in the world, both in front of and behind the camera. And we're bringing them all together to share their stories, their delicious adventure, and their unique journey into this crazy world. So to be the first to hear our episodes when they launch this fall, go to wherever podcasts are streaming and hit subscribe and make sure to give us a follow at the Culinary Call Sheet on Instagram. Hi, we're back and I'm speaking with Bill Nolan. He's the supervisor of the Butterball Turkey Talk Line. And this is the season, folks. It's coming up on turkey season. I, you know, do you, I mean, turkey, people eat turkey throughout the year now, probably more so than ever um, because of brands like Butterball and all the other, um, you know, even heritage breeds that are available throughout the year, um, if not fresh in the froze, in the freezer department. And, you know, it's a, can, it can be an economical meal, you know, if you can make it last for several meals, if you get a big one. Um, but certainly at this time of year, between Thanksgiving and, and the Christmas holidays and, and uh, New Year's, uh, you know, it's a lot of turkeys get sold. And I would imagine a lot of questions come in. Now, you, Bill, you mentioned at the top of the show that spatchcocking is now your your preferred method of, of cooking a turkey, and I can see that. Can you t- give us the your basic reason why? Sure. I think, you know, spatchcocking, it's a lot of advantages to cooking spatchcock. Number one, um, you can cook a turkey faster. You know, if you think about a turkey in its natural state as, a, as a, when you purchase it, a whole turkey, it's a large, round, heavy object. It's going to take a long time for heat to penetrate that in the oven. It's going to cook from the outside in. Therefore, it's going to take several hours. You know, a turkey that's around 14 to 16 pounds is going to take about three hours in a 325 degree oven. And of course, the time will go up from there. Spatchcocking a turkey, of course, is laying it flat. It's going to cut that time down by about a third, maybe more. Um, depending on your oven, how your oven is working, air circulation. That's my first advantage to having it. It's it's fast. Number two, and this may sound a little bit superficial, but I'm a chef. I think people eat with their eyes. They like something that food to be pretty. I think it's a cool way to do it. You know, mm-hmm. when you see this out there, it's a beautiful, the, it browns beautifully. So it's a nice roasted dark brown color. It's pretty. Um, you know, again, a little superficial, but I think food has to look good in order to, it helps it taste better too. And uh, the third reason is it cooks more evenly. You know, we always tell folks at Butterball, they need to make sure they check their temperatures. Butterball recommends 170 degrees in the breast and 180 degrees in the thigh because the thigh, of course, is dark meat. It will take a higher temperature to get that to the consistency in the mouthfeel that you really want. It's a fattier meat. So there's the discrepancy in the two temperatures. When you spatchcock it, you're going to have a better chance of having that thigh meat reach temperature closer to when the breast does at the same time. True. So yeah. those are those are my main reasons why I re- why I really prefer it. Well, you and Julia Child, that was her favorite way of, <laughs> Good of cooking a turkey. <laughs> Good right. Um, in, and I, I often prefer to 
to roast my chickens that way too. And, you know, it's almost like you're not really braising it, but there are more, more parts of, of the bird and the meat getting in contact with, you know, some of the fat and the drippings and liquids. So it's, it's almost like a braise in a sense without being too liquidy. Yeah. So it's great. Okay. So my questions aside, um, tell me what, what probably some of the most common questions are that have come in over the years. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we do track our questions every year and we then we go through them and see, okay, what kind of questions are we getting? What do we need to, what do we need to hone on more, hone in on more? But I, I, without fail over the years, our number one question has been, how do I thaw my turkey? Mm-hmm. People are mesmerized by a turkey. You know, if we think about it, we don't cook it every day. We don't cook it every week. We don't cook it every month. Uh, it's imposing, you know, it could be a 15 pound or 20 or 25 pound of frozen meat. How the heck are we going to get this thawed? Mm -hmm. So it's the number one question we get from people. How do I thaw it? And of course, you know, we will walk them through that process, which by the way, the best way is in the refrigerator over several days. A turkey's going to thaw at a rate of about um, four pounds per day. So when you do that, you know, you can do the math. If it's a 16-pound turkey, it's going to take about four days. Um, Butterball has uh, a great resource on their website, butterball.com, that has a what we call a turkey calculator. You can put in there how big your turkey is, how many guests you're going to have, and they'll tell you how much turkey you need to buy, um, how long it's going to take to thaw it. But uh, yeah, number one th- question is thawing. Uh, the second method with that, of course, is in cold water. That's going to expedite that process of thawing your turkey. If you're one of those people that maybe forgot to take it out of the freezer, we get a lot of calls on on that around Wednesday or even Thursday morning that uh, it's kind of an emergency. and We have to get people to get that turkey thawed as soon <laughs> as possible. They'll also be celebrating the next day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, another question that I don't know if if it comes up, or if it was a question maybe from a prior time, you know, years ago when, when the, you know, the turkey processing uh, situation wasn't what it is today. And that's cleaning a turkey. You got questions about cleaning a turkey after you, want, you take it out of the package? Yeah, we do. We get a lot of questions about it because people, uh, people will assume that they, they need to rinse or wash that turkey as soon as they take it out of the packaging. And this is one of those things that might surprise people. You know, when I talk to people about turkey, and I talk to a lot of people about turkey, and one of the things that uh, we have, you know, these little nuggets are, oh, wow, I didn't know that, you know. And one of those little nuggets is cleaning your turkey. And the answer is you do not need to wash it or rinse it or anything else. Quite the contrary, you you shouldn't because you, then you can spread bacteria by splashing water on your countertop, your turkey's in the sink. We advise customers to open the turkey, remove the neck and the giblets that are in the cavities, you know, within the turkey, and then just to take a, a, a bunch of uh, disposable paper towels and just dab that dry. Mm-hmm. When the turkey leaves the plant, you know, food safety is number one to butterball. When they're packaged, they are clean. They've been cleaned in the plant. So there's no need for you to do it when you're opening up at home. Just make sure you dab it dry. Right. Uh, You know, back in the back, again, I say back in the day, but there was a time when 
yeah, you would want to, I mean, it didn't look that great. And then you'd spend all this time. They had special little um, tweezers made specifically for, you know, pulling out the, uh, the base of the feathers. You'd have to spend a lot of time pulling out the base of the feathers. And still, if you get a wild turkey prepared by somebody, you know, a dresser who's not, you know, doing this as a, as their main business, I'm sure it could be a challenge. But um, yeah, I've, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that there was no need to wash it. And also, it's going to be in an oven at all that heat for all that time. It's going to kill most anything by that time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So to stuff or not to stuff? I'm sure those are questions that come up a lot. It is. It is, you know, and the, the and what goes along with that too, depending on what part of the country you're in, you know, people will call us and say, especially on radio interviews, and they'll say, do you call it stuffing or do you call it dressing? <laughs> you know, and I said, well, it doesn't matter what you call it as long as you make it safely and it tastes good. Um, personally, as a chef, I do not stuff my turkey. I like to fill the cavity with other things to help the flavor and help the meat from not getting dried out. Um, when we talk to customers, and what I do when I fill that, I, I take an apple, I cut it into quarters, maybe an orange, or not an orange, uh, yes, an orange, maybe a lemon, um, an onion quartered, some fresh herbs are always nice. And I just kind of gently stuff that that main cavity with that. And that kind of, I, I don't like the idea of hot air circulating by itself in that cavity. I think it tends to dry out that breast meat. Mm. So this uh, this will lend a little bit more moisture um, to the entire process. But if you do choose to stuff your turkey, there's a couple of key things you need to keep in mind. And number one is do not stuff it until it's right, just ready to go into the oven. You don't want to stuff it the night before. We get a lot of questions. People say, I want to save time in the morning. Can I stuff my turkey tonight? Say no. Bacterial contamination, it's just not worth it. Um, it may cook out. It may not. You just, we always say be on the safe side. You know, it's just like thawing a turkey. You don't want to set it on the counter overnight to thaw. You know, you're, you're tempting fate when you do this. But if you do stuff it, stuff it right before it goes in the oven. Stuff it loosely. And most importantly, when you're checking those turkey temperatures that I mentioned earlier, if you stuff your turkey, you need to make sure that you take the temperature of the stuffing as well. And that really needs to be at 165 degrees. Okay, that's good information. Well, <clears throat> earlier you mentioned the temperature, an oven temperature of 320 degrees. You know, over the years, there have been, uh, you know, different trends. Like, as you said, now there's an air fryer and, then, of course, um, frying you know, the outdoor frying of a, of a turkey and grilling. But there also have been trends on high heat roasting um, in the beginning and then turn the heat down or low heat, really low heat for a long time and then turning the heat up right at the end, you know, to get it nice and brown. Uh, what's, what's the recommendations that you give on those? It's a good point because we get a lot of questions on that. You know, to your point, people will say, hey, I was watching um, TV. You know, whether it's, you know, Food Network, Bravo, whatever they're watching or a cooking show of any kind. And this chef turned it up to 450 for the first 20 minutes and then turned it down. It seemed to me, you know, in the last three or four years, that has really been a big thing that people have been calling about. 
And our answer is that's fine um, if you want to do it that way. We recommend an even temperature of 325. Number one, it doesn't cause as much splatter in the oven. If you have right. a turkey in an oven with, you know, we can imagine what's going to happen. You know, the next day you're going to be cleaning your oven because uh, it's going to be it's going to be splatter. But um, you know, it's it's perfectly fine to do that. But don't also get yourself in trouble when you do that. Make sure you set a timer. Because we've had people call up, you know, and this goes to the unusual calls. And we call, call up and say, uh, you know, my turkey's ruined because I put it in at 450 and I forgot to turn it down after 20 <laughs> minutes. And you can imagine how the turkey turned out. So yeah. you need to make sure that you, you know, just exercise some, uh, some, some caution when you're doing that. Good advice. Okay, so that was on some one of the unusual calls. What, what over the years have been say a crisis, a true crisis phone call that you would, you would consider a crisis phone call in, in a Turkey preparation. Well, the one was the one that comes to mind the most is, you know, people all ask us, what, what is the, what is the strangest call you got? Or what is the funniest call you got? And the one that was a crisis was a, a gentleman called up and he, uh, he put his Turkey in the oven. He was having his in-laws over. Uh, he was nervous. You know, a lot of people are very nervous around this time of year because they're hosting and they're not maybe used to hosting. And he put his turkey in the oven and um, instead of turning the oven on to 325 or whatever temperature he chose to use, he turned it on clean. Ooh. And he couldn't he get it open. That, <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't get it open. Oh. And uh, that was a little bit of an emergency. You know, he really panicked. Um it, um, he was finally able to get it open, get the temperature down and nothing was ruined. But, um, you know, people will, you know, it, it breaks your heart almost sometimes because you could picture it, you know, we're here on Thanksgiving, you know, we're here from, you know, six in the morning until six at night. And we're talking to people from all over the country. And somebody says, you know, I left my turkey out by mistake. You know, it was sitting on the counter. What am I supposed to do? And, you know, let's say by to be safe, you really need to get a different turkey, you know, and it breaks your heart because, you know, you know, they're they're planning on having that for Thanksgiving and having it for their meal. So uh, that's a crisis um, that we want to try to avoid. And we mm -hmm. always advise people, you could go buy a you go buy a frozen turkey and try to expedite it with cold water thawing. We'll always try to solve the problem. And probably 99% of the time we do find a good solution for the customer. So that's, it's somewhat gratifying for us so we can hopefully save the, save the day, if you will. Right. Well, I, I would imagine that some of the other questions that are, are very common were the ones that, um, that most of us today would think of, and that's, you know, to how to, how to keep the meat moist. What's the best way to keep the meat moist to baste or not to baste? Well, Butterball took care of that one. But, uh, so what's, but what is your advice otherwise to baste or not to baste? Yeah. To baste and not to baste is a question that came up, you know, like I said at the beginning, everybody here has, uh, you know, most people here have another job in foods that they're doing or they're retired from doing so. And mine is teaching, of course. So I was teaching a class this week on on cooking uh, turkey <laughs> because it's it's topical this time of year mm -hmm. and um, the basting always comes up um, and I always give them a surprising answer because people say well the more I baste my turkey the better it's going to be and here's what I have to say not necessarily 
I think it's okay to baste a turkey. Butterball recommends when you put your turkey in the oven to brush some vegetable oil on the skin. Uh, that will help it brown. But we don't advise that you continually open up the door and get those drippings and pour it over the turkey. The reason being it's twofold. Number one, when you're basting that turkey and that turkey skin, very little of that is getting to the actual meat. Because if you think about it, a turkey skin acts like a raincoat, if you mm -hmm. will. Uh, you know, it hit, the basting hits it, it rolls off back down into the pan. 15 minutes later, you're going to open that door up again and you're going to do it again. So you're really only browning it, which is a, an important thing to do, but just try to do it less, less often. The, the second thing that happens when you continually baste is every time you open that door, you're going to lose heat in the oven and it's going to drop. And if you are doing it frequently, you're going to extend your cooking time. You know, it's, it's funny. I had a friend of mine years ago that said his mother-in-law always served Thanksgiving three hours late. <laughs> and I said, well, was her oven off or what? He said, no. I said, well, how many times did she baste it? Oh, that's all she did was baste it. And I said, well, that's why it's late. You know, you're, <laughs> you're operating in an oven that's fluctuating between 200 degrees and 325 and it's going back and forth and it's never going to get done. So that's my advice, um, I think. But again, there's a million different people out there that are giving advice to things, uh, things about cooking turkey. And so I learn every day myself. You know, I browse the internet every day. What's going on in the turkey world? You mm -hmm. know, what about heritage turkeys? What are people doing nowadays? What's what about dry brining? There's so many things. It's such a it's such a fun subject. Yeah, that was something that, that I was going to ask as well. This, this um, you know, the trend of brining the bird beforehand and my and I for one have never really discerned a difference in the final product but that's just me and I've done it I've done it every way you can imagine in my 50 years or so of cooking turkeys but what what do you feel well I'm with you um, I've tried brining a turkey I really don't see any difference I've tried brining a butterball turkey as well as uh, a different producer um, of a turkey that whether it's a heritage turkey or whether it's just another regular producer uh, that are in retail retail markets, um, I don't really see a difference. You know, sometimes I pick up a little bit too much salt from mm -hmm. the brine. Mm -hmm. um, butterball turkeys are pre-basted, so they are injected with a solution that are some some proprietary herbs and, and some water, a little bit of salt. So we always inv tell customers, if you're going to brine a butterball turkey, make sure that you cut back on the salt a little bit because you don't want it to turn out to be too salty. So I prefer really not to brine. Um, but again, you know, that's me. I think it's a step that's really unnecessary. But I think some people, you know, in their defense, they like to make a real event out of it, you know, whether they're going to put it on a smoker overnight or if they're going to brine it first. And and that's okay. You know, if that's what they want to do, I think it should be a festive time of year to do things like that. And um, it comes down in the end, it's a personal preference, I guess. Uh, it absolutely is. What about the different breeds? What, what type of breed um, are the birds that Butterball produces? I don't have the breed in front of me. What I can tell you that they're young turkeys. These mm -hmm. are all young turkeys, and their young turkeys really qualify in age of uh, 14 to 18 weeks, sometimes as young as 12 weeks. Um, whereas, you know, when we talk about heritage turkeys, they're typically older turkeys. They're also smaller. Uh, the butterball turkeys that we have 
uh, range in weight that we sell uh, as low as nine or 10 pounds for a very wow. small turkey. It's pretty incredible. And we can actually cook a, a turkey like that, a small turkey in the microwave, believe it or not, if need be, if in an emergency. But, um, you know, from the small turkeys, nine to 10 pounds, all the way up to oh, 26, 27 pounds. So, um, but it, again, they're a younger turkey than say the heritage turkeys. Heritage turkeys are um, really quite the rage right now. Uh, they're more expensive, uh, but they a lot of people say they're really good. The, the meat is very good in quality. Um, it's going to have darker, dark meat. Uh, the meat's a little sturdier. It's a smaller turkey and uh, less breast meat mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Do different so do different breeds really require any different methods? Sometimes um, the uh, heritage breeds of turkey tend to be more muscular, not as you know, not as fat. Maybe they'd have to be cooked differently, or you know, yeah, you find that to be an issue. It, it, I don't find it to be an issue. I think if you, fo- if you follow just the regular guidelines and you're not doing anything radical to the preparation, um, I don't think that it's really an issue. Um, but you bring up a good point with the heritage being um, a little more muscular. Their, their thighs are exercised more, so mm-hmm. hence the darker meat. Um, of course, very that rich. Is, the meat is, a lot, is very rich. Yeah. Very rich. Yeah, very, very rich. But as far as um, the preparation, what I always advise people and say, well, do I, this turkey, you know, whether it's a different breed or maybe it's smaller, larger, do I need to know anything? And what I always say is track your temperatures. That's what you need to do. If you're cooking a turkey to the correct temperature and you don't let it um, exceed that greatly, particularly with the white meat, you're going to have a good result. Um, you know, temperatures and thermometers nowadays, of course, you know, you can go to probes that uh, you can stick in and have a remote on your on your phone, you know, through Bluetooth or, or anything like that. But even if you go with a standard old thermometer like my mother used, you know, 50 years ago, sticking it in the turkey and, and pulling it out and taking a look at it, monitor your temperatures. It's the best way that you can make sure that you're going to have a good result. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's so much has changed over the years. But one thing that hasn't changed is that package of giblets in the turkey. And oh, please remember to take that out before you roast your turkey. Uh, there are um, some there are some crazy stories on that one. <laughs> oh, there are. And we get a lot of calls on that. You know, do you really? Will, we do. People will call up and say, in a panic, of course, you mm-hmm. know, and this will be on Thanksgiving. You say, I just found the giblets when I pulled my turkey out of the <laughs> oven. Well, the, the good news is, I'll say, don't worry, you know, the, the little the little bag that those are in, are it's oven safe, so you haven't contaminated the turkey, um, so don't worry about it. But yeah, try to remember to remove the giblets and the neck. And of course, the giblets, you know, um, some people are put off a little bit by it because what they are, you know, it's organ meat. Um, but it does add a lot of flavor to, it can add a lot of flavor to the gravy if you want to make a giblet gravy or if you want to make giblets... Uh, Put the giblets in your stuffing. It's always nice. So, um, you know, it, it has a use if you want to. If not, you can just discard it. Excellent advice. And I have to tell you that after having cooked so many turkeys, different kinds of turkeys, you know, butterball turkeys, uh, other brands of turkeys, heritage turkeys, a wild turkey in, in, 
in Italy one time, which was, I'm not sure oh, what wow. bird it really was, but, <laughs> but it's always, it, it's for some reason, it's not like, you know, you stick your meatloaf in the oven and then it's done in a certain, it's always a new game. Every year it's, it's feels or seems like a new game. Well, because we change our methods as you talked about. And the size of the turkey is a little different as you spoke about, but this is all, you know, excellent information and questions that haven't changed in, I'm sure many of the questions haven't changed in those 41 years that the talk line has been around. And no, they, they haven't changed. They, they um, really haven't, you know, I mean, you know, it's, 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 they've changed in the way just, you know, with new technology, but the basics, you know, how do I thaw this turkey? You know, how long is it going to take me to cook? How long can I keep the leftovers? You know, that's a very important one, mm-hmm. you know, and we say three days, you know, three days and otherwise you have to freeze it. But, you know, those are the basics, you know, we could take probably 10 questions that, that consist of basics that, a lot for quite a few, a big percentage of the overall questions we get. And they're very important to each caller that calls in and asks them. I mean, this is, it's a stressful time, as you said, you know, it's a big, big hosting. And it's the one dinner where absolutely everything has to be ready at the same time. And, you know, the pressure's on, but the pressure's on and it's exciting because it ends up being a lot of fun and delicious. And, you know, you can also eat the mistakes. It's okay, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing so much, Bill. And I and I wish you good luck in your busy season here until the 24th of December. Those calls are going to be coming in. So if you are panicked or if you have a burning question or if you perhaps just want a little advice to change your game a little bit, you know where to call. That's 1-800-BUTTERBALL. Thanks. Thank you, Linda. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening. It's been another Taste of the Past. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.